0: Good morning. It is so good to be here with you this morning. And I just appreciate Pastor Jim's invitation for me to speak this morning. I have been praying that the Lord through his Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts this morning through this entire service. Let's pray together. Isaiah said, the Lord declares, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return empty but will accomplish what I desire and will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the wonderful gift that you have given us, your word. Lord, your word provides us with understanding, purpose, direction, and life. Lord, it is such a privilege for the church to be able to open your word each and every Sunday so that we can hear from you. Lord, you said your word would not return empty but it is only through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit who brings your word to life and accomplishes what you desire. May your Holy Spirit touch our ears, our minds, and our hearts today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite commercials on the television is the Jake from State Farm commercial. Many of you have possibly seen that commercial, but... It begins with the husband standing in the living room, talking on the phone, and he says, I'm married, can you do that for me? And in the background, you see the wife walking down the steps in her bathrobe, and she says, who are you talking to at three o'clock in the morning? And the husband says, Jake from State Farm. And the wife says, Jake from State Farm at three o'clock in the morning? Let me have that phone. And she takes the phone and says, who is this? And you hear coming through the phone, Jake from State Farm. And the wife looks at her husband and says, she sounds hideous. And her husband said, she's a man. She talks to the the man on the phone again and she says, what are you wearing, Jake, from State Farm? And the State Farm agent says, "Uh, red sweater and khakis. Cute commercial, and I share that commercial with you today because the title of my message is, What Are You Wearing? What are you wearing? Interesting question today. All right, we're in church, um, and I would assume that some of you out there in church today are still in your pajamas. Who would have thought we would have come to a time where we could go to church in our pajamas? But I'm assuming there's some pajama wearers out there uh, participating and enjoying this service today. But this sermon is not about the clothes that we get dressed in every day. Did you know the Bible uses wardrobe or clothing to illustrate the condition of man's spiritual life? In Isaiah 61.10, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Again, three references in the Old Testament say this, those that hate thee shall be clothed with shame as he clothes himself with cursing, the prince shall be clothed with desolation. All these, all these verses describe the spiritual condition of man. So again, I ask this morning, what are you wearing? What spiritual clothes are you putting on? Today, we're going to look at a passage that teaches spiritually The wardrobe we get dressed from every day has everything to do with our relationship with the Lord and whether we are living a holy life, living the holy life that God wants us to live. One of the reasons I'm preaching this sermon today is because of of this book here. This is a book, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And I discovered that book about 20 years ago, and I read it, and it made a great impact in my life. It challenged me, and it convicted me of how I need to live my life each and every day for the Lord in a holy fashion. And I, just a couple weeks ago, I picked up that book again thinking, yeah, I should read this again. And it did the same thing. So I'm talking about that theme today, holiness. Christians living a holy night life for the Lord. You know, in the beginning of that book, it says this, the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson declared that one of the inerrant and unalienable rights of men is the pursuit of happiness. Professing Christians must be brought to the realization that the preeminent desire and the demand of God for us is for us to continually pursue the holiness of life and to be a reflection of his own holiness. For he says, be holy, for I am holy. So while many are in the pursuit of happiness, God's desire for us is to be in the pursuit of holiness. Pursuit is a great word. The word pursuit indicates drive, commitment, determination. People are in pursuit of many things in life. A person or a team might be in pursuit of the championship. Many people are in the pursuit of climbing that ladder of success in the workplace. Maybe you're in the pursuit of money, of power. Maybe it's just recreation and entertainment. People in serious pursuit of something are willing to do anything to obtain what they are pursuing. As I thought of the word pursuit this week, do you know what came to mind? Eh, many of you know me. I my mind moves in strange ways sometimes. But this thought came to mind Wily e. Coyote pursuing the roadrunner. Now, I know I'm dating myself, and some of you might even think, what in the world is he talking about? But there was a cartoon that I grew up to, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. And the coyote, every episode, was pursuing the Roadrunner, trying to catch the Roadrunner. He wanted to eat the Roadrunner. And he would do anything to catch the Roadrunner. He never did. But he was definitely in pursuit. Our text for this morning is Ephesians 4 17 through 24, which was read earlier. In verses 17 through 19, it says So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated. From the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more they can never get enough the first point of my sermon this morning is the old wardrobe in verse 22 later on in verse 22 the apostle paul he tells us the description we have here in verses 17 through 19 is known as the old self or what i'm terming this morning as the old wardrobe and this person the old self is the person that lives his life pursuing the sin nature or living by sin nature. In verse 17, no longer live your life as the Gentiles. Paul is saying no longer live your life as an unbeliever, as someone who doesn't know Christ, as the unsaved. There should be a definite difference between the life, the lifestyle of the believer versus the person who is living by his sin nature. It should be obvious. Look at Paul's description at the person from these verses that wears the old wardrobe instead of the new wardrobe. The futility of their thinking, darkened by their understanding, separated from the life of God. The ignorance that is in them is due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What a depressing, what a condemning description of the man that lives by the sin nature, lives by putting on, day in and day out, the old wardrobe of the sin nature. John Stott in his commentary in Ephesians summarizes these three verses as a downward spiral. First, there's the hardness of heart. Next, there's the darkness of heart. Third, we have deadness. And fourth, reckless, unrestrained abandonment to sin. We all know our society is just filled with people who have become morally and spiritually reckless and live a life in abandonment to sin. They allow the sin nature to rule and to reign in their lives. In verse 17, in his opening statement, Paul makes a very strong plea to us. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as those that don't know Jesus Christ. Paul is passionate. He's concerned as he encourages the church at Ephesus. That, and you can you can just picture a father pointing his finger at a child. Hey, you are no longer a pagan. You're a child of mine. No longer live like a pagan or the unsaved. And we need to remember one thing. Paul is not talking to the unsaved here in this passage. This is a letter to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to the church. Paul is addressing those who've come to know Jesus Christ, but continue to live their lives following after their sin nature. They continue to put on that old wardrobe and live their lives in sin and worldliness. The second point this morning, the wardrobe exchange. First we have the, fir- the old wardrobe, and now we have the wardrobe exchange. In verses 20 and 21, it says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Scripture teaches us, for the person that does not know Christ There is only one wardrobe in the closet, the old wardrobe, the sin nature, and they live by that sin nature. They don't have anything else to live by. So the question is, how do I get the new wardrobe into my closet? Well, the answer is, you can't do a thing about that, and I can't do a thing about that. That can only be done when someone places their trust, they come to a believing understanding in Jesus Christ, and they become a believer, one who enters the family of God. And God through the Holy Spirit now delivers the new self, the new wardrobe, and places it in our closet. Romans 3.22 says, this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The New Testament all throughout teaches us there is no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. None. When someone places his trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the new self, the new wardrobe of righteousness and holiness. But after salvation, we have a dilemma. Due to the sin nature that we still have with us, Hanging in our closet is the old wardrobe and the new wardrobe. And God has given us the freedom to choose which wardrobe we are going to get dressed from every day. We can go to the closet and pick from, maybe there's some temptation, some struggle you're dealing with. And so you go to the closet and you pick your outfit from the old wardrobe that day and fall into the sin nature, or follow the sin nature. Or you go to the closet, and you choose to follow after God and his holiness and righteousness. That brings us to our third point this morning, the new wardrobe. The old wardrobe, the wardrobe exchange, and now the new wardrobe. Verses 22 to 24 say, You were taught... With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The words there in verse 24 look at those again. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You now I hear of people that struggle with those big questions of life. Why am I here? Why was I put on this earth? What is the purpose for my life? Well, verse 24 gives us one great answer for those questions. We were put on this earth. We are here. We were created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. It is God's deep, deep desire for us to be holy. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For as it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Wow. What a gift from God. He has created us to be like him. What a privilege. But I think all of us would agree We don't do all that well with that sometimes. We fall short. This morning's text, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, tells us there's three things that we need to do if we want to follow the life that God wants us to live, the life of holiness and righteousness. First, put off the old self. You are no longer a pagan, so stop living like one. Second, be made new in the attitude of your mind. We need to be aware that we are living in an extremely wicked and sinful world. It's all around us, we're bombarded with it. There's an old slogan, Gigo, G-I-G-O, which means garbage in, garbage out. And we are bombarded all the time With garbage. And God's Word says guard your heart, guard your mind, protect your heart. And so we've got to be aware of all this garbage that we're living in and protect ourselves from it. So we have to have a new attitude, a new mind, a new mindset. Third, put on the new self. Put off the old self be made in a new attitude of mind, put on the new self. You know, God did not design it so at the time of salvation, we instantaneously became perfect, became sinless, holy people that no longer could sin. But he did create us so that we could pursue after him and pursue righteousness and holiness. Let me ask you a question. Would you say that living the Christian life for you has been easy? Has it been easy? If your answer is yes, I'm here to say you probably aren't totally living your life the way God wants you to. I can't turn anywhere in Scripture and find the verse, You want the easy life? Follow Jesus. It's not there. As a matter of fact, we can open up Scripture and open many, many verses that say once you choose to follow Christ, it's going to be very, very difficult. There will be opposition. There will be hardships as we pick up our cross daily and follow after him. It's not an easy life. A friend of mine from a church 20 years ago, He was working at this big business in the Philadelphia area. He was upper management, so he had a very good paying job. He was doing very well. But one day he came in and he said, I resigned my position today, or this week at work. I'm now unemployed. And he went on to tell his story. He said, you know, I've been working at this company for quite a while, but I begin to notice some of the business practices are not ethical are just not good. And with time, God convicted me that this is not good. And he convicted me that I just shouldn't be doing that any longer. So I went in, I talked to those above me, and then I tendered my resignation. And I'm unemployed now. He was unemployed for a couple months before he found his next job. And when he found his next job, he had to uproot his family and moved to the state of Washington to start again. Because you see, he could have, forgot, turned away from these things that he was involved with because he had to do it because that's what the company said he had to do. But he decided, no, I can't do that longer. That's not what God wants me to do. If you wholeheartedly strive to pursue holiness, Sometimes there's some difficult decisions we have to make, some decisions we don't want to make. But if we follow a conviction that God lays on our heart, it might be difficult. Another thing that Jerry Bridges said in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, and you might have heard this illustration before, I have, but it's just a great illustration that illustrates what we're talking about today. A farmer plows his field, sows the seed, fertilizes and cultivates, all the while knowing that in the final analysis he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce the rain and the sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For a successful harvest, he is dependent on these things from God. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibility to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a sense, he is in a partnership with God, and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his responsibilities. Farming is a joint joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer cannot do those things that God does, and God will not do those things that the farmer is supposed to do. We can say just as accurately that the pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life but just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own and pursuing god and pursuing holiness but god has made it possible for to walk for us to walk in holiness god has commanded us to live holy lives so is that a desire of yours to live a holy life is that a prayer that you say every day as you ask God, Lord, please help me, empower me to live my life in a holy fashion today before you. I don't know if word pictures or illustrations are good for you, help you remember things. I find them very helpful. So I have an assignment for you today. I want you to go to your closet. We all have closets where our clothes are hanging. Go to your closet and I want you to look at your wardrobe split it right down the middle. You've got a right side and a left side. And then you look at the wardrobe on the left side and you say, that's my old wardrobe. That is, the cult, that is the wardrobe of my old self. That is the wardrobe at one time in my life I put on each and every day as I live my life following my sin nature, live my life of worldliness and sin. And then you look at the wardrobe on the right and you say, thank you, Lord, that is the new wardrobe, the new self that you've given me, the wardrobe of righteousness and holiness. And every day I have to make a choice, which wardrobe am I going to get dressed from today? Is there gonna be some temptation that's, that's plaguing you someday and you go, to the wardrobe on the left? You go to the old wardrobe, and you act out in the sin nature. Or are you gonna say, no, Lord, help me to dress myself from this wardrobe of righteousness and holiness today?